This is episode number 349 with Chief Algorithms Officer at Stitch Fix, Brad Klingenberg. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today and now let's make the complex simple. This episode is brought to you by Super Data Science, our online membership platform for learning data science at any level. We've got over two and a half thousand video tutorials, over 200 hours of content, and 30 plus courses with new courses being added on average once per month. So all of that and more you get as part of your membership at Super Data Science. So don't hold off, sign up today at www.superdatascience.com secure your membership and take your data science skills to the next level. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, everybody. Super excited to have you back here on the show. And I've got a question for you. What do you think Netflix, Amazon, Spotify, and Uber all have in common? Well, that's right. They're all algorithms companies. And right now, according to Forbes, we're living in the golden age of algorithms. This is a time when companies that are based on algorithms that use algorithms, not just data science and data analytics, but specifically algorithms, those companies are the ones that are going to thrive. And today's guest, Brad Klingenberg, is the Chief Algorithms Officer at Stitch Fix. So let me tell you a bit about Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service. They were established in 2011, so just a mere nine years ago, but in that time, they've already accomplished so much. In 2017, they went public. As of February 2018, they were valued at $2 billion, $2 billion. Right now, they have over 3 million active users worldwide, and on their algorithms team, which is headed by Brad, wait for it, they have 125 people on that team. How cool is that? And so in this episode, Brad walked us through exactly what is happening at Stitch Fix and how they're using algorithms to their advantage. This episode can roughly be broken down into three core components. We'll be talking about algorithms quite a lot, and you will hear about the sheer diversity of applications of algorithms at Stitch Fix. It's mind-blowing. They use algorithms for everything from personalization to NLP to process text to computer vision to process images, other models to solve the traveling salesman problem. I, like It's hard to imagine a single activity in the business that is not underpinned by an algorithm. So that's a very exciting component of what we talked about. Another really cool thing that you'll hear about is how Stitch Fix combines humans and algorithms together. That this is a company that is completely destroying the myth that algorithms will replace humans. In this company, algorithms work side by side with humans and you'll find out exactly what that means, how they accomplished it, and how uh, people are satisfied with that process. And finally, the third part is what will be interesting to you if you're an executive or manager, you want to lead a company at some point. It's about how to build an algorithms-driven company. What does it take 
to make sure that your business has algorithms in its DNA. What, what are the trade-offs, what are the advantages, and what are the pitfalls to look out for? In a nutshell, this is going to be an extremely insightful episode about algorithms and algorithm-driven companies. So without further ado, let's welcome Brad Klingenberg, Chief Algorithms Officer at Stitch Fix. Welcome back to the Super Day Sense podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Super excited to have you on the show. And today's guest is Brad Klingenberg from Stitch Fix, calling in from San Francisco. Brad, how are you going today? I'm doing quite well, Carol. Thank you. Very excited to have you on the show. Um, it's been a while. We originally planned this for several months ago, and then my schedule didn't work, your schedule didn't work. But finally, we're here. We're going to be talking about algorithms and Stitch Fix. Are you excited about this? Absolutely. It's a pleasure and I'm glad we could align the schedules and make it happen. Yeah, same here. And what I really appreciate, like already talking to you a little bit just before the podcast now, like you're so excited about the company you work for. Like you, you talk about Stitch Fix and with, like you can feel it in the tone of your voice. Like what is the one thing that you would say that makes you most excited about waking up in the morning and going to work? Oh, I mean, it's so hard to, to, to choose this one. I, I, I think, uh, so I might cheat and say two, I guess. <laughs> I think, uh, so Stitch Fix, just the, the problems that we work on are just fascinating. And so I feel, you know, after, you know, having been here more than more than six years now, I still, I still learn and get to think about new things every day, which is exciting. And secondly, the people are great. So I think that combination of working on interesting things with, with colleagues that you, you know, you enjoy spending time with is, is pretty hard to beat and um, keeps you engaged in the long haul. That's fantastic. Like to continue learning after six years, would you say your learning has shifted? Like maybe at the start it was more about algorithms and now it's about leadership or is it still a combination of both? I think it's a healthy combination of both. So, uh, you know, my, my journey at Citrix, so today I'm the, the chief algorithms officer and lead our, our algorithms team, um, which, which is a, you know, largely data science and, and platform organization that, that you know, just focused on using data to, to improve our business. Um, and, you know, so I, I joined Stitchfix about six and a half years ago as an individual contributor. And so certainly, like, as I've, you know, taken on uh, people management and, you know, uh, you know, larger and larger teams, the focus of my, my work has shifted. So there's definitely, like, a lot to have learned there. But, you know, part of what's still, you know, so exciting to be here is we have these wonderful, difficult, open-ended problems um, around, you know, making our clients happier and, you know, buying inventory. And, um, you know, there's really a richness of, of this problem space where many of the fundamental things we work on are just not solved. Um, and that, you know, keeps me engaged on a, a technical level as well as, um, you know, managerial level. That's, that's fantastic. And congratulations. This is the first time I've heard the title chief algorithms officer that's is that is stitch fix did stitch fix invent this title and and what 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 does uh what does the title entail it's a great question i i, I can't make with certainty the claim that uh it's it's unique but it's certainly unusual and i think mm -hmm. what it reflects um as, as much as anything is really the unique role of of the algorithms team in, in the company um so so you know, data science is, is a really interesting field and, you know, different companies organize quite differently. And, you know, very often you'll find data science or, you know, machine learning and algorithm development, you know, is a subfunction of, of engineering or other other verticals at a company. And, and Stitch Fix is, you know, um, you know, somewhat unusual 
in actually having an algorithms organization that is, you know, a top level department, you know, alongside, um, you know, other functions of a business. Um, and I, I think this, this, you know, has been, you know, important historically and it just generally represents the, the role of, of data science at the company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's uh, like, it's a very cool thing that's going on now. I've, I recently, well, maybe like a year ago, read a blog somewhere that before data-driven companies were crushing it, but now it's the algorithm companies that are crushing it. Like you look at Amazon, they have uh, their recommender system uh, uplifts their revenue by 30%. You got Google with their uh, algorithm for displaying ads. Um, Uber with uh, their matching algorithms and you know, like basically all of the top companies are using algorithms and it's really cool to see uh, a company in the retail space in fashion space also following along those lines and w would you say that this is something common that your competitors are also using or is it something like a massive innovation that uh, makes Stitch Fix stand out? So I think certainly across, uh, you know, technology, so, you know, the examples you cited at a Google or Amazon, there are many places where, where algorithms are used in, in core parts of the business. Uh, that, that's fairly unusual, certainly in, in, in fashion retail. Um, and I think, um, you know, a lot of that has to do with, you know, as much with the, the aim of the company as with the data that, that the companies have. And so like one of the, one of the advantages of the Stitch Fix model, which is, you know, Stitch Fix is a personal styling service, uh, we, you know, we are um, a retailer that helps people find what they love, um, but not in the traditional sense of shopping. So, you know, we're not a store where you, you browse or filter your way to, to inventory. It's really a, a service where a personal stylist actually, you know, can can make decisions. And we bet on those recommendations by by sending them to clients. And, uh, you know, as, as part of that, we close a feedback loop that's unavailable to, to many retail models. Um, so I'm sure if you, you know, think about the last time you were trying something on in a store and it didn't quite fit, uh, or you didn't quite like the style and you left it behind in the dressing room, chances are extremely good that nobody learned anything about you or anything about the inventory. And it's Stitch Fix, you know, part of the magic of the model is our clients are, are, are generally very excited to share feedback with us. And so when we send things to clients, we get to learn about what they like and what they don't like. That helps us, you know, better serve them, but also better understand how to use inventory to, to make other clients happy. And so the algorithm thing is Stitch Fix, you know, sits atop this this feedback loop that really opens a lot of opportunities to to use data, not just in kind of a sense of you know building a dashboard that you know is is providing insight into something, but in a very active sense where we can actually use data to 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 you know drive the recommendation algorithms at the heart of the business to. Um, to, to make decisions about managing inventory or, or, or marketing. Um, and so I, I do think, you know, is, is a bit of, you know, part of a vanguard of data being used in a much more active way uh, in, in many different businesses that, you know, I'd expect to see continue to play out in the you know, coming decades and other industries as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely great that you're leading the way in that sense. Uh, you mentioned a bit about Stitch Fix, about how you've closed a feedback loop and uh, that you're in the um, uh, fashion and design industry. Could you tell us a bit more about the company? So for somebody who's never heard of Stitch Fix or never used the service, uh, how, how does it all work? Out? How does it all play out? Like, for instance, if I want to go and buy something, some piece of item of clothing, could you walk us through the customer experience? So we can paint a bit of, bit of a better picture of how the service works before we dive into more uh, the algorithms and that side of things. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Stitch Fix is a personal styling service. Uh, the way it works from a you know a client perspective is you you know come to us and tell us a bit about your preferences. So you know how much you typically like to spend, how you like your clothes to fit, um, and a variety of, of of things to help us get to better understand your sense of style. And then with that, uh, you know we'll we'll actually um, pick some things to send to you. So so unlike uh, a, a traditional retailer or even most e-commerce models. Uh, we're actually making choices on the behalf of clients. So rather oh, than wow. for yourself, Stitch Fix is actually, you know, making making the choice of, of what to send to you and being a, a personal stylist in that the truest sense. Um, and so, of course, it's quite important to, to get that to get that right. And that that's where, you know, the focus on using data to better understand the preferences of our clients and the inventory that they're going to love becomes becomes so important. Um, and so as a client, you know, you, you'll, you'll get a shipment that we call a fix um, and, you know, uh, have a few days to try things out at home, uh, you know, try it on, you know, you know, with your mirror, with, with other things that you own, you, you keep what, keep what you love and, and send back the rest and, um, you know, are able to, you know, continuously, you know, engage over time in that way. More recently, we've also opened up um, some some new ways of engaging that, that are quite exciting. So, for example, being able to um, you know get recommendations for for an outfit that, that goes with things that you've purchased with us in the past. Um, and so, we're, we're really exploring um, you know more ways to to you know, make it an even richer experience. But I think the the key distinction from traditional retail is really uh, the, the company acting as a personal stylist and, and um, you know us making a really literal bet on our recommendations. Oh, uh, so. What kind of uh, model, payment model is, like for instance, if I like an item, do I need to pay for it after you've shipped it to me or is it like a membership fee that I pay every month? How, how is this yep. monetized? What is the revenue model for the company? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the way it works is that you, uh, as, as a client, would pay $20 for, for a fix as a styling fee. Um, and then, you know, if you keep anything from your fix, that's applied toward what you keep. Um, and... Uh, the and then if you keep five things you actually get a discount discount beyond that um and so you can think of the styling fee essentially um is only something that you, you end up paying if you don't keep anything so so if you keep you know anything that we send you it's, it's applied toward that um and then that you know that model includes uh, both the shipping to you and, and, and any returns that, that you'd like to make to the company okay gotcha and so that's what you mean when you say like you close the feedback loop that by seeing what the client returned, you're able to adjust your algorithm. So even if we take, like for instance, the best retailer who takes care of all of their data possible, the only data they actually see is they don't they don't see what the client is trying on, but they see what the client is purchasing, and then from there they can say, all right, so the clients purchased uh, these uh, five uh, pairs of jeans or this this specific pair of jeans. So you know, like we we can learn from that, but you can learn from that. And in addition, you can to learn from what they didn't like. Indeed. So th that's exactly right. And, you know, learning why you didn't like something is often just as useful as learning why you did like something. Um, so for example, if something doesn't quite fit you because it's too big or too small, um, you know, that's a lot of information about how, how you like to wear things. Uh, but beyond the, you know, the implicit feedback of, of what people keep and what they, what they choose to return, um, yeah, our clients can also share much richer feedback. So we ask stru structured questions about, you know, how do you like the size or, or the style of things that are sent, um, and even even uh, have clients, you know, share freeform text feedback with us. So one of the, you know, part part of the part of the model is really uh, this combination of, of algorithmic decision making, but also also then expert human curation. So 
every fix that we send is actually curated by you know a, a stylist who's um, you know a, a, a Stitch Fix employee, and uh, they you engage with clients in a variety of unstructured ways. So, so when you, when you request a fix, you, you can include a, like a free form request note. And when you're providing feedback on things that you've received, likewise, you could, you can, you include, you know, free form text feedback on what you've liked, what you haven't, um, to, to help the stylus and also our algorithms get to know you even better. So just to clarify, that means that as a client, I, my stylus is not just an algorithm, it's an algorithm and a human being. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and so when when we're styling a fix, which is you know our term for for choosing things to send to a client, is really this combination of of recommendation algorithms and the the tools that our stylists use. But ultimately, um, in every fix, every single item that, that that we select is is picked by a stylist. Um, and it's really this human in the loop process uh, in. And human and loop in a very strong sense. So, um, you know, not just having, you know, expert humans label things so that algorithms can learn, but actually having active human decision-making in our, in our production loop. Hmm. I like that term, active human in the loop, much better than just labeling stuff. That's very cool. And, um, yeah, so the, well, I think we'll get to that in a, in a bit about how humans and machines work together at Stitch Fix. I think that's a very important topic. For now, I wanted to ask you just to put this into perspective for people who are listening who might even have used the service before but don't know the intimate details of the company. Uh, two questions. How many people do you have on your team? And also, how many clients does StitchFix serve? So the algorithms team at Citrix, which is the, the team that I lead as chief algorithms officer, includes uh, data scientists and platform engineers. And we have uh, today over 125 people on the team. Uh, and so, you know, a fairly, uh, fairly large organization Huge. for a Huge company team. of size. Um, reflecting a couple things. I think, you know, both the incredibly important role that the data science plays at the company um, and the the breadth of of, of applications and um, so so you know happy to chat about that more and then to the second part of your question so so we we have over uh, three million active clients um, so uh, wow you know, large a large population as well that's a lot of clients you 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 have a lot of data I love this about algorithm driven companies that uh, the greater the the better the service, the more clients you'll have. The more clients you'll have, the more data, meaning the better the service will become. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I can certainly remember, you know, six years ago when, you know, when I just joined the company, you know, the volume of, of shipments we were making was much smaller. And that has a real impact on, you know, the amount of time it takes to run experiments and, you know, the amount of signal that you have to work with. And, you know, today we're able to run experiments, you know, much more quickly than I'd ever dared hope years yeah. ago. That's crazy. When you joined the company, how big was the team then? Uh, so the data science team um, was led uh, by, by Eric Colson, so the, my, my predecessor in the chief algorithms officer role. And I joined as one of the, the first data scientists. So I think, uh, you know, Eric and maybe three other people, depending on how you, you count wow. exactly, but something like that. Wow, that's crazy. Okay, very interesting. So that's the scale of the company, massive company, 3 million active users. Uh, over 125 people in the algorithms team. Um, so let's dive into a little bit. Let's dissect this, uh, the, you know, the types of algorithms you use. I think this could be a very cool case study for somebody, not necessarily even just in the retail space, but 
who wants to see how AI, an AI or an algorithms, an algorithm can drive a company and um, you know can be at the foundation of a business. How it's already possible even in at the start of the uh, 2020s. Oh, well, it's been possible <laughs> even in the previous decade you've been doing for a while. So the first question I would have is, there's two types of filtering that are quite uh, well-known. Collaborative filtering versus content-based filtering. In your algorithms tour, which, by the way, I recommend to, for everybody listening to this, I will link to it in the show notes. It's algorithms-tour.stitchfix.com. Amazing. Completely blew my mind. I loved reading through it. Such a volume of information and so diverse. Like It really explains the whole how this whole thing runs. So uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about some points in this um, algorithms tour. So collaborative versus content-based filtering. In the tour, it says that you use collaborative filtering plus mixed effects modeling. Could you go into a bit of detail on that? Like, why and how do you use collaborative filtering plus mixed effects modeling? And what, what are those things? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's helpful, uh, just as general context, to think about the, the types of data that we have um, when, when thinking about what to, to send to people. And, you know, broadly speaking, uh, you know, I like to think of there, there being three categories. So there are things that clients tell us about themselves. Um, and that could be through the initial onboarding survey where clients could tell us the sizes they like to wear and, you know, their, you know, their, their budget preferences. Um, it could also be things like, uh, you know, our, our clients are able to rate images in, in our iOS app and on, on the web that help us, you know, understand their style preferences. But generally, things we know about our clients. On the other end, you know, Stitch Fix is a retailer. We we buy and hold inventory. Um, and so as part of, uh, you know, creating or buying that inventory, we have a lot of information about it. So that could include, you know, structured measurements or even, you know, subjective ideas about like when you might want to wear this or, or different occasions that it might be suited for. And then finally, the, the third category is really uh, feedback. Uh, so as we send things to clients, learning about what they like in a way that, you know, helps us better serve them. Um, and helps us get to know them over time, but then also helps us do a better job managing our inventory in a way that creates better better client outcomes. And so, you know, in general, in thinking about this recommendation problem, you have those three categories to draw from. Um, and so, you know, as, as you mentioned, a, a content-based, you know, recommendation is, 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 is something that might, might be very focused on, you know, the things we know explicitly about our, our clients and things we know explicitly about our inventory. Um, and, you know, th there's quite a lot, quite a lot to do there. Um, and you know you mentioned the the, the mixed effects model um, you know highlighted in the the algorithms tour um, is is one example of uh, of a, a type of algorithm you know not unlike um, other applications where you use things like you know matrix factorizations where you're essentially trying to learn either through transaction history or through feedback that people have provided um, you know representations of of clients and in inventory that are useful for for um, you know, making making future predictions. So, so not just something that's an explicit attribute given by the client, or that we know about our inventory. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, for instance, let's compare it to a very well-known company that use that has an algorithm in its base, Netflix. Right? Netflix mm -hmm. uh, is the probably the it is the most valued company in terms of movie production right now, and uh, I think it's actually been labeled the most valued membership platform in the world. Anyway, so the the point is like they uh, use um, filtering in terms of like uh, content filtering, like they look at content based filtering. They look at all right, what what movies have you watched, and or what shows have you watched? What are the shows uh, similar to those shows? 
to recommend to you. And then collaborative filtering, or I don't know how they, what they use. It's a, like a proprietary information, but they could use content-based filtering plus collaborative filtering. They could look at, okay, you've watched these shows and then this other person is similar to you in these certain ways. So they've watched those similar shows. What else have they watched? Now they can, we can recommend that to you. Whereas what you can do is you can do both those things, but in addition to that, you can take it to the next level. You actually have feedback. Your users tell you um, implicitly feedback, saying that may, like by returning items, they can, you understand they don't like those things. Plus, in addition, they might fill in some surveys or uh, provide you textual information, um, uh, like maybe get on a call with your stylist, basically, or explain the attributes about themselves, basically give you additional contextual information that other companies such as Netflix wouldn't have, and you're able to add that in. And that's, that's what is called the mixed effects modeling. Is that, am I on the right track here? So the, the mixed effects modeling refers to a, a very particular type of statistical model um, that, uh, you know, it is useful, for example, in, you know, learning empirically that uh, a, for example, uh, a particular blast does better um, with clients of a certain style preference than, than another. Um, and so it's an example of an algorithm that, that can make those kind of, you know, empirical uh, inferences. One, one, one family of algorithm that you know we we've used to to some success here is, is something called a factorization machine, uh, which is something you know closely related to you know matrix factorization, but it is makes it easy to incorporate the types of explicit attributes um, that that you've mentioned. And, and maybe to add, I, I think one actually interesting uh, feature of, of the the stitch fix recommendation problem that makes it different from you know recommending movies in Netflix or uh, you know music at, at at Pandora or Spotify is again that we have this this human stylist in the loop um, so in addition to learning through uh the choices our clients make and, and what to keep and what to return and how they rate things um, we get to learn through the way that stylists interact with our recommendations as well so um you know ha being able to learn from you know what a stylist chose to send uh but maybe what they didn't choose to send that, that was recommended by an algorithm um, and so there's actually this kind of interesting dual feedback uh you know character to the problem mm -hmm. So um, basically, you're using pins uh, or images that the clients liked in order to get additional insights, which they cannot explicitly tell you, and add that into the model. Tell us a bit about that. How does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the best examples of this might be our, our style shuffle uh, feature in our, our mobile app and, and on the web, which lets people rate different images. And through those ratings... Uh, you know, what we're eliciting from from clients is just their reaction to to something, whether they like the style. And through looking at all, all the many things that they share with us, then we're able to derive uh, some representations of their preferences that are useful in many different parts of the company. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And let's go into a little bit of technical details here. I found um, like a very cool example of uh, how you deal with this visual information. Because there's lots of ways you could transfer visual information into um, machine information. How, like, how does this whole system work where you create a vector for a specific style, so you, you, or a specific item even? Like you have vectors representing different items, and then based on the cosine similarity, basically the angle between the vectors, you can tell if two items are similar or not. Um, is this, a, is this like, like a common approach to... Um, encoding uh, images for a further comparison in filtering, or is this? Are there some 
innovations that you can share with us that you were able to create along the way? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think so. Certainly, you know, recent years have, have brought a lot of incredible improvements in, in computer vision generally. Uh, you know, one of one of the applications that that we were just chatting about, though, combines not just you know trying to to process an image, um, but but really understand uh, you know how how a client reacted to it, um, and you know their uh, you know their response to it, and so. You know, one one interesting aspect of our business is because we have stylists who you know largely interact with our inventory through through software tools that allow them to interact with recommendations. Is we have you know great image assets of essentially all the inventory that, that we carry, um, and you know by showing that to clients and, and you know getting uh, getting their reactions to it on a tool like Style Shuffle, we're able to learn um, an embedding or, or vector representation of um, of of the you know client preferences for for that item that are really useful and you know even you know simple applications as, as you noted by looking at you know cosine similarities um and it's really you know the application of of those embeddings throughout the business um that that are are really uh, you know kind of a differentiated appli- application of that data so for example by by playing style shuffle you know we get to learn about your your pref- your visual style preferences in a way that leads to really material uh, improvements in the recommendations that we make and, and therefore the, the outcomes that the clients have, how happy they are with their fixes. Um, and so it's really a, a you know, a, a very, very useful tool that shows up in a lot of places, including helping to pick a stylist for you in the first place. So helping to choose from amongst the stylists that, that could style your fix to find the ones that will be will be most successful. So that, that's also an algorithm, another algorithm to not just pick your clothes, but pick a stylist in the first place, right? Yes, absolutely. Wow. Um, and how, like, what are the criteria there? Well, so there's a lot of things. I think part of the the, the value proposition um, for, for many clients is actually, you know, creating a you know, long-term relationship with a stylist who gets to know you over time. And, you know, that that free-form interaction that I, that, I, that I mentioned earlier of, you know, being able to request things to your stylist and provide feedback uh, create creates you know in many cases you know a, a real relationship, um, and so so for many clients you know that they're you know happy to to stick with a stylist who has gotten to know them and really you know knows knows what they love and brings that that human touch. Um, of course, for for clients who you know are getting their first fix or um, you know you're looking looking for a new stylist, there's a question of like well, how do we find the, the stylist who you're going to like the most? Um, and you know one of the important signals that goes into this is really understanding. The you know the strengths and weaknesses um, you know different styles have with respect to different styles. So you know we all have our own our own preferences, and you know, might be um, you know better or worse at, at styling um, different types of clients. And so we try again using this idea of you know a vector representation or uh, you know embedding representation of style is something we call latent style to really use that to understand you know the, the types of clients that stylists are likely to be successful with. Oh, I thought for a second you you said uh, vector representations of stylists. That'd be funny. <laughs> at least at least of their uh, the, the the preferences that they show in picking things for clients. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Um, okay, all right. So you have algorithms to find the the right uh, clothes. You have algorithms to match customers to stylists. You probably have NLP to process text, right? Yes, uh, you know LP. So is an interesting thing for us too, because again, the the human in the loop, um, you know, nature of the problem uh, 
you know, it's quite difficult, for example, for even with cutting edge NLP to to beat the stylus capacity to to see a note from a client that might be, you know, something like, hey, I'm going on a vacation, you know, send me something for the beach to, to really, you know, to understand that intent uh, is hard to beat the, you know, human capacity. At the same time, we can do a lot of things with that text, um, you know, algorithmically. And so we work on, I think, learning from from text both, you know, algorithmically, but then also through uh, the, the role that that our stylists play in the process. Yeah, and like you can pick pick out some keywords and help stylists to, you know, sift through the text faster. I guess. Then do you, you also I read that you also have algorithms to even optimize how your pickers go through your we- warehouse to pick up the items that need to be sent. Is that true? It is true. Uh, so we we have a network of warehouses uh, across the country that. Uh, uh, we use to fulfill our, our shipments to to clients, and you know within within the walls of the warehouse, there, there's a lot of opportunities for uh, you know optimization, and again using the the data we have to help um, you know help help make things more efficient. So we we have a team focused on what we call operations algorithms that, among other things, thinks about how to to optimize the operation of our warehouses. Wow, wow, that is very impressive. So. Basically, you use algorithms pretty much for everything. Is there anything in the business you don't use algorithms for? There, I mean, th- th- there might be a couple small pockets here and there, but I think actually one of the interesting, you know, stories of the algorithms team at Stitchfix is just the breadth of engagement it has with the business. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things, you know, we, we haven't even haven't even mentioned yet, and you know, actually, you know, the fact that we have 125 people on the team you know, more than anything reflects the number of different problems that we're working on. So if you drill down into to any particular problem, like, uh, you know, so our core recommendation algorithms, you'll find there's, you know, less than 10 people working on uh, working on those problems. And so the size of the team more than anything reflects that, you know, it's, it's really an enormous breadth of applications across the business that the, the team is working on. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's, like, how do you even keep your mind on top of all these things as chief algorithms officer? It, to me, it sounds like impossible to deal with all these different algorithms in different parts of the business and then just and keep on keep up to date with what's going on. Well, I I, I think there's there's a couple things that uh, that help with that. So one is you know I, I get to spend a lot of time with the team and um, you know to to understand the the problems they're working on and you know it certainly is a lot and I you know. Certainly can't can't keep it all in my short term memory all the time. I think beyond that though, like one what another special feature of the team is really a strong culture of bottom up innovation. And so the the development of better algorithms or, or better ways to use data to run the business doesn't rely on me, you know, having a great idea and then propagating it down down the organization to be implemented, but really rather the opposite. So so people who are closest to working on the business problem, really seeing opportunities, exploring new models and um, you know, uh, bringing that to life. And so is, you know, my role of leader of the team is, you know, less somebody, you know, directing things at a fine grain from, from above and more, more like a gardener, just trying to make sure conditions are good so that, uh, all sorts of different things can grow. I love that analogy, analogy of a leader as a gardener. That's, that's perfect. Um, can you give us an example of a recent bottom up innovation that you think popped to mind? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, th- I think you know many of of the 
the most significant improvements we've made over the years have have arisen in this way. And I think even uh, you know even the the style shuffle uh, rating experience that, that I mentioned is generating such useful data was actually born out of just a side project of, of of one of the data scientists on the team who decided to to you know try something and prototype something and it really got traction. It's become a become a real product here. Uh, but that that's something that uh, is a great example of. Uh, an innovation that was not asked for in any executive way. Fantastic. I think it's a good time to make a small plug for uh, your hiring efforts with such a grand team and growing so fast. Uh, like to me, it sounds like a, an amazing place to work, especially when you can drive uh, innovation bottom up, do experiments, uh, choose what area of business you want to work on, choose the type of work, whether you want to do an LP, you want to do traveling salesman problems, you want to do computer vision. Pretty much all all AI is uh, is there. Um, you mentioned at the start before we started the podcast, you're hiring. Can you tell us a bit about more more about that? If somebody is interested, um, like what kind of roles you're hiring for and where can they apply? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say in in my time here, we have been in a near permanent state uh, of hiring, and that certainly continues to this day as you know the company and team continue to grow. Uh, we you know seek people from a variety of different backgrounds. And actually, one of the really fun things of, of working at StitchFix um, is, is just the variety of backgrounds and skills that people people bring. And this is true within algorithms, but in, in the broader company as well. Um, and so, you know, we you know we have a team that has this enormous variety of different backgrounds from, uh, you know, the computer science and statistics uh, to the sciences like the physics, social sciences, psychology, epidemiology. We're really run, running the gamut. And so, you know, we, we draw from a lot of different backgrounds and find a lot of value in, you know, having, having that uh, diversity of training. Um, and in general, you know, have a fairly fairly strong preference for people who are able to be generalists um, and really, you know, not be too hyper uh, specialized into to any particular, um, you know, subset of data science. And a lot of this has to do with, you know, the business problems that, that we solve and, you know, asking a very, very open-ended question like, how should we manage our inventory? You know, how could we do a better job buying things that our clients are going to like, which are just, you know, very open-ended problems um, that uh, are amenable to, you know, techniques from a variety of different fields. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And I'm looking at your careers page. Uh, you've got algorithms, platform engineer, data platform engineer, data scientist, in acquisition algorithms, data scientist and client recommendation, data scientist and mer merge scenarios. Very, very cool. Uh, most of these roles are in San Francisco. Is your whole team based in San Francisco? It is, yes. So the uh, the algorithms team is in our, our uh, headquarters here in downtown San Francisco. Okay, fantastic. All right, so if anybody's looking for a cool job, this is your opportunity. Check out stitchfix.com slash careers slash jobs. Okay, um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you is, it's it's really evident that, and I think I read this somewhere, that algorithms are a part of the business model at Stitch Fix. Like just by the way you do business, this is a, a it's not just like a, a bonus, not just like a, a, you know, a cherry on top of the cake. This is the cake of Stitch Fix. Um, what can other companies learn from that? We've got about 10% of our audience, executives and leaders and business owners. What can other companies learn from that? What, what takeaways would you recommend or you could share from having the algorithms as a part of the business model? So I think for, for Stitch Fix, uh, you know, for, for a very long time and, you know, much credit to Katrina, 
Katrina Lake, our, our founder and CEO, for, for seeing the opportunity. Data and algorithms have been a key part of our differentiation strategy. Um, and, you know, really to uh, be able to, to really predict what people are going to like and to be able to give it to them in a, you know, a fun and, and convenient way. And, you know, going back to the, the framing of, you know, making a bet on the recommendations, it's just really important that we're, we're good at, uh, you know, winning that bet. And, you know, uh, as a retailer, our strategy is not, uh, you know, to carry the largest selection of things or to carry things at the very lowest price or to deliver them, you know, faster than than, than, than other retailers, uh, but to, to find things that you love. And so it's really that that personalization and uh, ability to to understand and learn from you is at the core of the business. And so I, I think, you know, to to your question, we really have data and data science at, at, at the heart of the business and it's part of you know the core of the strategy it you know it's not a kind of a second order optimization um but really it, it kind of a first order existential strategy for for the business mm-hmm. gotcha and so does that make uh, it easier for the business for like the business to grow and to uh understand its users like what what's the main advantage of having that uh data science as the core so I, I think in uh, in in businesses where where you first have the data, so either the feedback loops exist, or there, there are ways to 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 learn from from your your customers or you know other um, other stakeholders, uh, you're able to to really take full advantage of of everything that you know and you know even beyond using using algorithms to make those those decisions. Uh, you know, having having a, a culture that's that is very you know data oriented and empirical helps to make you know good decisions about uh, how to think about uncertainty, how to think about how to think about measurement, and it re- really, in general, I, I would say just brings a more scientific uh, you know approach to, to to driving a business forward. And so, where the business model supports it, I think you know making investments in you know data problems that, that are you know really a first order importance of the business is, is the the right way to go. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So it increases certainty and predictability of your business. Um, what is the main challenge of having uh, algorithms as part of the business model or as the, or having data science at the core, like like we've seen the advantages are very, very clear. It's very it's obvious. Like how now that you've grown to this level, how much more like success or not successful, but more, how much more streamlined things are, and how different things are to uh, a competitor that wouldn't have that in their business strategy. But what what would you say is like the one or one or two biggest challenges you've had along the way? So, uh, you know, we mentioned that we're hiring. Uh, I think so, uh, you know, data science is just in a just a wonderful period of, of rapid growth. And, you know, you're finding applications across many different industries, which means that, you know, as a data scientist, uh, everybody has you know many, many different choices of, of what to work on and, and, and where to work. And so one, you know, one one thing we're always working on is, is bringing, you know, very talented people into the company. And that's certainly a big part of, um, you know, big, big part of what I think about. I think another another challenge of you know using data and algorithms in in this more active sense that that we discussed earlier is is trying to figure out like what is what is the best way to combine human judgment and in, in algorithm decision making and you know when when do you bet on um, an algorithm and when do you bet on human judgment and you know there's no fixed optimal answer to that um, and I think it's it's you know we're on something of a journey of really understanding. Like what is the what is that optimal boundary 
um, between you know algorithmic or human decision making and you know, what is the, really the right way for for humans and machines to work together in a way that you know enables uh, folks at Citrix to do things that they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Hmm. Yeah, let, let's talk a bit more about that. This is a, a really cool uh, topic you which I identified. Uh, before we started the podcast, as a like a, a one of the central, well, one of the interesting themes at Stitch Fix, the humans plus machines. And if we think about it, companies like, um, you know, again taking the case of Netflix, that like I can imagine, I imagine that all of that, the the whole recommendation process, can be done entirely by machines. And if we take, I don't know, Amazon especially there with the volume of data that's coming in and number of transactions all the time. Again, that's most likely being done uh, out, uh, fully by machines. So what is your view on the situation at Stitch Fix? Do you think that the service that you provide could ever be done entirely by machines or are humans an integral part of this um, whole setup and this whole like service that you have created? So this is a question that I'm inevitably asked uh, in any time I speak at you know public events or, or give interviews. I think uh, my my view is that the, the service would not be nearly as good without without the role of uh, the the human stylist in, in helping to pick things for our clients. And nor is the the work that we do on building algorithms, um, you know, it doesn't have the aim of, of actually automating away the human component. I think the way that we the way that we think about things is really how to combine humans and machines in a way um, that, that's better than either alone. And so, you know, the goal is really not just to automate things away, but to equip stylists with capabilities they wouldn't otherwise have. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, we talked a bit earlier, the way that, you know, the possibilities for interacting with clients where you can exchange freeform text, you can exchange image data, you know, those are all things you can work on algorithmically. And there's, you know, really exciting advances, especially in recent years. But it is quite difficult, you know, still to to, to match the, the human bar for many of these things. And I think, um, you know, really the human in the loop is a really, you know, integral part of our, our strategy for solving these problems. And I, I um, would expect it to stay that way for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, active human in the loop, as we discussed at the start, very... Um... Very cool. How do your stylists? What do your stylists say about uh, this experience for them? Like, how do they find it working with artificial intelligence hand in hand? So it's certainly a core part of their experience, and I, and I think you can really, in some sense, think of the the process of, of picking items to send to clients as being, you know, something of a dance between between algorithms and in stylists. And so, uh, you know, we we learn a lot from stylists. Um, and so, as I mentioned, you know, we. The, the feedback loops we use to improve our algorithms are not just, uh, you know, how how clients uh, respond to things and how they rate them, which of course is you know very important, but also the decisions our our stylists are making. And you know, if we make a change to an algorithm, does that make stylists, uh, you know, have to search more for the things that they want to send to clients, or does it make them you know make decisions more easily? And and really, you know, taking a view of of styling as a combined system that involves both, you know, algorithmic decision making and human decision making, um, and so we we you know pay a lot of attention to the way you know stylists are are interacting with algorithms um, in both you know quantitative ways. Uh, so stylists can tell us about you know the the recommendations that they're seeing, also in qualitative ways. So just you know spending time with you know stylists and you know the the, the leaders of the styling organization to really understand you know that both you know their experience of the tools, but you know also you know, opportunities we have to, uh, to, to always be making things better. Gotcha. 
And you mentioned that uh, so like three million people, massive market, huge, uh, huge market presence. Uh, you also like we spoke briefly uh, before the podcast that you're ex- you're expanding or you've expanded to the UK. Tell us a bit about that. Like, are you is that your first international expansion, and what what uh, what does it look like now in terms of like your global growing your global presence? It is so. Yeah, we were quite excited to expand internationally in, into the UK and um, you know set up a business there. So that's our our first international business. Um, you know, the past few years have been you know a story of expansion in, in the U.S. market. So starting as a you know styling service just for women, and then expanding to to men's and, and kids and you know even different size profiles. So petite and plus size within uh, women's, for example. Um, and so you know international expansion is you know you know similar and a natural opportunity that we have. Um, and yeah, we're excited about growing our our UK business. Fantastic. And what does that mean for the algorithms uh, team? Does that are you going to stay in San Francisco? You're going to start hiring in Europe as well. Uh, so, so for now, everybody's still in San Francisco. Though we do spend quite a bit of time with with our our colleagues in London, both uh, ver- both virtually and also by you know visits to visits to London. I always love to go when I get a chance. Um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, you know it. it it's an exciting problem to work on. You know, it's a different uh, it's a different market of of clients. That you know, we have uh, you know largely different inventory, and uh, you know when we launched, of course, it was a bit of a cold start problem. Um, you have uh, you know all all new inventory, all new clients, and you know starting a new business. And of course, we have you know the benefit of everything we know about our, our U.S. business and all the algorithmic approaches that have worked there. But it's really, I think, you know, as time goes on, um, you know, the feedback starts to accumulate, and you can uh, you know there's a um, you know, flywheel that, that kicks in that helps you know drive things algorithmically. That's really cool. And uh, if uh, if you do uh, at some point expand your algorithms team to Europe as well, then you'll have access to a whole new talent pool, uh, like European professionals and data science. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think that this is a very compelling compelling consideration. And then thinking about hiring hiring folks is the very large pools of talent um, that exist. Of course, not just in US but Europe as well. Fantastic. And what does the future li- look like for personalization uh, using artificial intelligence? Because that, that's predominantly the the main, I guess, the, the core al- part of the algorithm or the output of your uh, of the work of the algorithms is personalization and making it very uh, user specific. All these recommendations, and that doesn't necessarily have to be just applied in the space of fashion design tailored clothing can be applied in lots of different industries uh, from from your experience extrapolating just into the in general onto personalization what do you think the future looks like in terms of AI developments and uh, data science playing a huge part in this space so I think from a consumer perspective uh, in in retail but in you know many other consumer um, consumer services or products, we're in an era of just overwhelming choice, um, and you, you see this with retailers, you know, competing to carry, the, you know, the most broad inventories. And uh, you know, Stitch Fix, I think, is is a compelling, you know, counterposition to that. Where actually, you know, the service is really uh, personalization and making it easy to find things that you love, not not to show you a thousand pairs of jeans that you could choose from, but actually just to send you the pair that fits just right and that you love. And, you know, I think, you know, as you know, like the, the value proposition there, while quite well suited to, to fashion and apparel, you know, need to be limited there. And so I think really any industry where there's this this kind of 
overwhelming burden of choice and selection and you know having to do a lot of work to find things that you love is an opportunity for personalization which of course you know is, is very successful and driven by data to actually help people find things that they love and relieve them of the burden of um, you know doing the curation themselves I love it I love that uh, getting rid of that whole choice paralysis problem mm -hmm. that's uh... I think that like I've experienced that you go in, there's so many things to choose from before I know even in my lifetime, like even 20 or 15 years ago, you go into a shop and there's only one thing that kind of suits your, uh, your um, measurements or your kind of what you wanted, you buy it and you're happy. Okay. It almost fit my, what I wanted, but now you go into a shop, there's like at least 10 things that would suit you. They're all different colors, shapes, sizes, and so on. They're, they're all perfect for you. And then you buy one of them. And you walk out feeling miserable because you are thinking of the missed opportunity of buying all these other things and how how much better they would have been. So it's kind of like you're uh, you bring us back to that uh, feeling of um, satisfaction from your purchases because you're taking the choice paralysis out of the equation. Absolutely sounds yeah sounds very exciting. But then I've got an interesting, more philosophical question. Then do you think that? Uh, is your work on algorithms or, or these kind of personalization algorithms will or have the potential of driving the world to a future kind of like a dystopian future where we no longer can make choices for ourselves like all we do is uh, just just uh, wait for an algorithm to make a choice what are we going to eat what are we going to drink how what movie are we going to watch where you know where are we going to go for holiday what we're going to wear like basically in that sense it's like taking the human not just out of the uh, workforce, but rather taking the human out of their life. <laughs> and uh, it sounds a little bit scary if you think about it that way. Maybe a bit far-fetched, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that quite yet. I, I think, you know, the, the general general trend in, in so many so many settings is, is again, for this, uh, you know, ever-increasing, you know, selection and just broader and broader choices for, for people to make. And I think, uh, you know, you there's certainly, um, you know, both risk and opportunity in, in, you know, narrowing what you're exposed to uh, too dramatically. But I think, um, you know, the the prospect of that becoming uh, so prevalent that it has dystopian implications is uh, probably pretty remote in, in, in my yeah, opinion. Pro probably. In the meantime, it's really great this, uh, like what you're doing. And, and another uh, consideration is that it helps reduce waste, right? This, when there's so much on offer, Things that don't get purchased and they go out of fashion, they get thrown away. But when you can personalize to the extent where you you know your customers really well, you can reduce the inventory size, and that means less uh, you know waste, less carbon emissions, less impact on the environment, things like that. So, like even from that standpoint, this is this is the way to go. I think. Yeah, I, I, it's it's a really it's a wonderful you know a aspect of this model where uh, you know we're able to run a very efficient inventory, you know, largely because of you know how much we know about. Uh, about our clients in addition to this the, the general structure of the model and you know something we haven't talked about too much today is there's you know quite a lot of effort um, you know on the algorithms team and, and thinking about how to just make better decisions about what to buy and how to manage inventory and you know you can think about it in some sense as this this giant portfolio optimization problem how do we how do we build uh, you know an assortment of inventory that's going to delight you know our millions of clients and, and do so efficiently and you know, the, the, the power of personalization here is really, you know, to enable us to, to do a really good job buying things we know our clients are going to like, which, you know, to your point, um, you know, in addition to being, you know, more efficient from a business perspective, it's also, um, you know, more efficient and, you know, uh, less wasteful than other models. 
Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. Well, um, that's it's been really cool dissecting all of this and diving into you know some of the technical aspects and also the business implications, ethical implications. Really, really cool. Um, but we're slowly coming to the end of the podcast. And Brad, um, I wanted to ask you: Do you have any final like parting thoughts for? the data scientists that are listening to this who want to progress their career or want to maybe get into the space of data science uh, who are by now, I hope, are very excited about personalization and what AI can do in this space. Um, any kind of thoughts or uh, wishes for them? I, I think it's a tremendously exciting time to be a, a career in data science. And, uh, you know, one, you know, I, I uh, you know, the, the stitch fix uh, in, in our model is extremely interesting, but but I think, you know, even in, in a larger sense, uh, you know, I think we're part of a transformation um, that will play out over a lot of different industries as we really bring, you know, data and algorithms and just scientific approaches in general uh, to, you know, running and building businesses. And so I think the, the opportunities will only increase um, and, you know, we keep keep an open eye out for, for hard and interesting problems to work on. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you so much, Brad, for coming on the show. Very exciting uh, conversation. Uh, really enjoyed chatting with you. And before I let you go, can you give us some uh, places online where people can follow you, connect with you, maybe follow Stitch Fix? What are the best places to get more information and uh, keep uh, stay in, in this loop? Absolutely. I think uh, more than anything, I'd recommend checking out our, our blog, Multi-Threaded, which is a, a technical blog at the company that includes the algorithms tour that you mentioned, but then also um, you know, a pretty regular cadence of, of really interesting blog posts about the way that we use algorithms at StitchFix. Gotcha. So that's multifreded.stitchfix.com. Very exciting. Um, and then, yeah, and so one more question I had for you before we finish up. What is a book uh, you can recommend to our listeners for them to further their careers or just in general their lives? Yeah, great question. I think uh, one really interesting area of machine learning research these days is causal inference. Uh, and, you know, this is something that's really, uh, there's really active active research there. Um, and I think, for, you know, for folks who you know, are interested in learning a bit about that, but might not have, you know, encountered it uh, in, in their training or experience, um, there's a fun, you know, pretty general audience book called Mostly Harmless Econometrics that, that I think is a fun, you know, introduction to the subject. Um, and, you know, a little more broadly for life, I really enjoyed recently reading a book uh, called Origins by Lewis Dartnell, which is about the role of geology in uh, shaping human history. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a fun story of uh, how we got to where we are today. Very cool. Uh, have, you, have you read um, Sapiens by Yuval Noah Harari? I have, and it's in the same the same genre of like large tellings of the the human story over over thousands of years. Yeah, it's it's really cool. And there's another another one, um, uh, Silk Roads. What is it? Who, Peter Frankopan. That's another really good one. Yep, one of, one of my favorite genres. Yeah, very cool. Okay, thank you. So the recommendations are mostly harmless econometrics and origins. On that note, Brad. Once again, thank you so much for coming on the show, spending some of your time with us. I'm sure it's going to be very inspiring to lots of data scientists out there. So thank you. It's a pleasure. So there you have it, everybody. I appreciate you being on this show with us today and hearing from Brad Klingenberg from Stitch Fix. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did and got value out of those amazing insights that Brad was sharing with us. 
My personal favorite part about our conversation today was the sheer volume and diversity of applications of algorithms at Stitch Fix. This is really cool to see how a company is using algorithms in absolutely everything they do. And at the same time, they are not edging out humans. They are finding ways for algorithms to coexist with humans and they're getting the advantage of having both working hand in hand. I'm really impressed at how Stitch Fix is in my view, leading the path of becoming an algorithms-driven company. They're not just using it for one application to set themselves aside from the competition. They're using it across the board. They actually have an algorithms team and a chief algorithms officer. How cool is that? Totally, totally love this conversation. And I'm sure you have your personal favorite takeaway from today as well. And as usual, you can find the show notes for this episode at superdayscience.com slash 349. That's superdayscience.com slash 349. There you'll find the transcript for this episode as well as any materials we mentioned, including the uh, careers page for Stitch Fix. I highly recommend checking out this company. If you, especially if you're in San Francisco, this could be a fantastic place. It sounds like a fantastic place to work at. They're hiring, so check it out. There's data science of all kinds and sorts, whatever you like. I'm sure you'll be able to find it at Stitch Fix. Also in the show notes, you will find a link to the algorithms tour that I mentioned. Also a very cool read, something to browse through. It'll probably take you more than a day to get through all of it. It's very well-written, highly animated, very insightful. Highly recommend checking it out. And finally, you'll also find the blog of Stitch Fix that Brad mentioned. That could be a very useful read for you as well. So lots of materials there. The link is superdescience.com slash 349. And one ask I have for you today, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with somebody. Share it with somebody who is interested in algorithms, who is maybe in the space of uh, personalization or online services, so they can get an idea of what's happening in this space. If you know any data scientists, machine learning engineers who are passionate about algorithms, this could help them build their career structure. And also if you know any business owners who might be looking to build an algorithms-driven or at least data-driven company, Stitch Fix is a great testament, a great example to strive for, and I'm sure they would find it useful. Very easy to share. Just send them the link, superdatascience.com slash 349. And on that note, we're going to wrap up for today, and I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing. <laughs>